Thank you. It is so great to be here. I was thinking about how you all are so excited that someday you're going to have your own church, but it may be a disappointment if you don't have really comfortable chairs. <laughs> so that's going to be a challenge to, uh, to meet that. But the preaching is going to have to go up a level because they'll be in regular chairs. <laughs> so it is playoff season in the NBA and the NHL. So I want to know who are my basketball fans? One? Seriously? Three? Okay, you're going to learn a lot today. And who are the hockey fans? Okay, there we go. Some blues. So you'll be disappointed in what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so who doesn't care at all about either one? <laughs> all right, so my choice is professional basketball. Um, especially those last two minutes of the game when the pure adrenaline, you know, in those moments where even for fans it's just going to be incredible. Uh, and then your heart rate gets really going when that guard shoots a three-pointer from way downtown and right at the buzzer, and then it goes into overtime for four more minutes, and your heart's racing. Just this great entertainment. So one of our daughters played basketball growing up, but it wasn't until the Oklahoma City landed a professional NBA team in 2009 called the Oklahoma City Thunder that uh, my interest in pro ball began. We were already living here in Brevard County, but I was born and bred in Oklahoma. And so we have, a, and we have a daughter that now lives there, along with most of our extended family. Oklahoma is a very homogenous place, and nearly everyone in the state is either an OU fan or an OSU fan. My husband was an OU Sooner, and I was an OSU Cowboy, so the rivalry, rivalry continues in our household, even here in Florida. But when the Seattle Supersonics moved to Oklahoma City and became the Oklahoma City Thunder, a state without a pro team of any kind to that point, it rallied the whole state to be behind that team. So in Oklahoma, you can wear blue and orange anywhere and not get scouts from opponents the way if you were wearing red or orange. So my blue and orange works here in Florida, too, for those of you who are excited about that. So in 2009, the first season for the Thunder, a young James Harden was picked third overall by the team in the draft. He'd been a college star at Arizona State and was so excited to transfer that stardom into the NBA. However, Coach Brooks did not play him as a starter. He played, instead he used him as what is known as a sixth man. This is a player that's usually the first one to come off the bench to relieve a starter, and he generally plays a good portion of the game. He has an important role. He's strong enough to be a starter, uh, but he's used in reserve for a team that already has enough strong scorers as starters. The sixth man is strong enough that when he, the, the starters get pulled out for rest, that the, the team's momentum can keep going. When a team has that kind of situation, they also, also take advantage of the sixth man to kind of get the lay of the land while he's watching the, the weak spots of the other of the opponents. So when he goes on the court, he's able to take advantage of them. So from 2009 to 2012, this team structure helped take a new team of mostly young players to the NBA Finals in 2012. I imagine it was disappointing for Harding to be the sixth man even though in 2012 he played an average of 31.4 minutes out of 48 for you non-sports fans, which was more than half the starters in the league. That year he also led the NBA in all bench player scoring. It had to have been hard to not have his name called every night of, of those games with starters and to not have his big picture plastered all over Oklahoma City like Westbrook and Durant. He had to eat some humble pie and realized that this was his season in life for growth. And eventually he started relishing this role. 
he became very well known and fans all fans all over Oklahoma started using the the term fear the beard uh, as a rallying cry for the adoration of this heavily bearded James Harden in the summer of 2012 Oklahoma City offered him 55 million dollar four-year extension which seems a lot to you and me but it wasn't enough to keep him at the Thunder Instead, he was traded to the Houston Rockets, Rockets, who offered him an $80 million five-year contract and a promise to be a starter. James Harden is now the star of the Houston Rockets, and in the 17-18 season, he led the league in scoring and was named the NBA Most Valuable Player of the Year. But even before that happened, Houston realized the gold mine they had and offered him a $169 million four-year extension. A few weeks ago, as I was starting to think about what I would share with you today, Houston was in a playoff series with the Golden State Warriors, and I was watching James, Harden, James Harden's incredible performance on both ends of the court. They did end up losing the series 4-2, to but it wasn't for lack of Harden's effort. Even with Kevin Durant out with an injury, it is almost impossible to beat the lineup of players on that team. That team has a serious embarrassment of riches in terms of talent. And just to put it out there, I am still mad at Kevin Durant for leaving Oklahoma City and going to the, the Warriors because they already had enough talent. And now what am I going to do with my Oklahoma City Thunder jersey with number 35 on it that I wore every game proudly from my couch here in Florida as I watched that team play? But that's enough about Kevin Durant. So during the one of the, the game breaks in the serious ending game a couple of weeks ago, I opened my Bible to Acts 1 and read about the replacement of Judas Iscariot with a substitution disciple to complete the team. Did you, you ever read a passage that you've read many times and all of a sudden go, oh my gosh, something brand new in it. So I discovered that that day that there was an ultimate sixth man, the disciple Matthias. So let's back up a little. As you know, Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 disciples chosen by Jesus to be in his inner circle. A friend of mine who's here today uh, once told me that her son, or young son, had prayed for Jesus and his posse. So now I always think about the disciples being Jesus' posse. So back to the basketball analogy, though. This is Jesus' first team, his starters, the 12. God owns the team, but Jesus, as a coach, picked who was going to play in the game. This group had been selected by Jesus and had been present with him from the beginning of his ministry when he's baptized by Jesus, uh, John, and then they stayed with him through his ministry and then through his death and resurrection. They all saw Jesus' resurrected body, so they were the ultimate witnesses to what had happened. If you are new to Christianity or you're just here kind of checking things out, I'll give you a little better, bit of background. Judas Iscariot is the disciple that betrayed Jesus to his, uh, and led his captors to him in exchange for a pouch full of silver. And this was ordained in the Old Testament, but because of his intense grief and shame, Judas ended up taking his own life. The book of Acts is an account by Luke, a physician, which tells about the birth of the early church after Jesus' death and resurrection. The disciples have just turned from, returned from the Mount of Olives where they saw him, the resurrected Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, and they all heard uh, him tell them that they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples were all gathered together and praying. This group also inc uh, included the 12 disciples minus Judas at that time, so it would be 11, but it also included more than 100 others that were also disciples who were believers in Jesus' circle. So Jesus' mother Mary was there and his brothers, as well as many women. 
So Peter stood up and told the group that Judas Iscariot's betrayal had to happen in accordance with the scriptures. So we referred back to Psalms, uh, to those scriptures that foreordained it, and especially 109 that foreordained that someone would take this person's place, take the traitor's place. So that's where we find ourselves in Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 21, starting there. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism. Let me read it from here. In the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 disciples. So how many of you knew that there was a 12th disciple that, that took Judas's place? Anybody? And did you know his name was Matthias? Yeah, a few of you could name that. That's good. So according to this passage, Matthias was present when Jesus was baptized and was still part of the posse when Jesus was resurrected. Because he had been watching from the bench the whole time, he was in a position to step in as the sixth man, or the twelfth man in this case. So the team didn't lose momentum, just like James Harden did in those years at Oklahoma City. Matthias was in, a place, was in place as this twelfth disciple before the time of Pentecost, where the, the church was set on fire and the disciples became apostles. Apostolos is the Greek word for apostle, which means sent away as a messenger or an envoy, or a delegate. So we don't read about Matthias anywhere else in the scripture, but church tradition says that he ended up being um, a bishop and taking the, the gospel to minor Asia, which is the area which is now the Republic of Georgia, which was part of the Soviet Union. And uh, Clement of Alexandria wrote, we, that's kind of an extra biblical reference that uh, some of the writings of the early church fathers uh, had talked about Matthias showing himself worthy of being an apostle. He was stoned to death and died a martyr, as did all but one of the apostles, which was John, who took care of Jesus' mother and is the only one to believe to have lived um, to a natural death. These men gave their lives for the gospel so that we could be sitting here today sharing this story with one another. This passage prompted me to think about the difference between being a disciple and an apostle. There are very few references to apostles in Scripture, before the birth of uh, the church, which is recorded in Acts. But clearly, the 12 disciples moved from being disciples to apostles at the time of Pentecost, Pentecost to carry out that great commission to take the gospel to the world. They became witnesses to what they had seen and heard and took the messages to their hometowns, the region, and to the ends of the earth. And the message is still spreading today. If you were a believer and a follower of Jesus, are you a disciple or are you an apostle? I believe we need to all start out as disciples, following Jesus and learning from him directly through scripture, through teaching, and through fellowship. But at some point, we are all supposed to honor the Great Commission and take the message to the world. You may think, well, I'm just a regular person. I'm not going to be called, be called to be an apostle and become a missionary or something like that. But let me ask you, do you have a family member that isn't a Christian? Do you have a coworker that needs to hear the gospel so that they can find new life and freedom? 
Do you have a neighbor that's hurting and needs the healing power of Jesus? Then maybe you are indeed called to be an apostle or a delegate of the message of Jesus. Maybe you're in a position where you've been watching from the bench, learning and growing, but now it's time for you to get in the game because there is someone that needs to know what you know. And that someone might be placed right in front of you. In 2006, I met a young mother named Julia who was nearly homeless. She had an asthma attack and collapsed in my front yard holding her toddler. At that time, she had no hope. But that accidental meeting, she changed the direction of her life and mine. Over the next couple of years, with the help of others and God's divine guidance, I walked alongside Julia and taught her to help herself, and now she is thriving. As I was completing seminary, I felt called to do for others what God had taught me to do for Julia. And in 2009, Brevard Rescue Mission was born. What I've learned through the years is that we are all stories of grace, and the stories that belong to the women who come through our doors are all stories of grace of the lost becoming found. I grew up in a home by itself in the back of a district, and I joined that family because my mom is two husbands and I have little kids. So growing up, that was normal for me, and we struggled. And I ended up picking up my own habit as I got older, and uh, it just completely spiraled my life out of control. I lost my total weight, and I was just completely at rock bottom. I lost everything. I lived in a car for 15 years, almost a year, just sleeping in front of our parking lots and jumping in pools to get a shower. It was just terrible. Uh, it was rough. I was in a, an abusive marriage um, and got out of that and then tied up my three children. And because of that, uh, daycare was um, $2,000 a month for me. Going to three children, so that was just a salary that was there for getting home to my mom. I think I really had a sense of um, I can do it myself. Um, I didn't start going to school, too well for me. So, and I think the choice was uh, getting pregnant uh, with my third child. I really didn't know what my next step was going to be. I came from place to place. I was pregnant with my son under um, a freeway pass and was a brick. Lives revealed, hope is found, chains are broken, and lives are transformed. 
It is vibrance that is going to become the inspiration for our ministry to break the cycle of homelessness for other women and children. And it is because of grace that our hearts answer the call to care for the broken, the vulnerable, and the hurting. Reflecting over the past 10 years, I could never have imagined that the Bard Commission would be where it is today. That one moment of grace between strangers has led to the healing of so many women and has offered new life to their children. As I look back on all the lives touched since that first encounter, I have seen God's amazing grace in the small and large moments. I see bowling homeless kids put together a lemonade stand and moms learn to sew. Several kids of our graduates that have come through our program are now in college. More than 100 families have changed directions from lost to found. And now, as we enter our second decade, new housing extensions are going to provide the way to reach out to even more women and children, transforming generations. This is truly amazing grace. Thank you for helping us extend that grace. I never get tired of seeing those stories, knowing those women, and they're out here in the community working and serving you in different jobs, and you don't know what they've been through. It's just a, such a privilege to, to be walking in that ministry. Um, so before 2006, when I met Julia in my front yard, uh, I was working as an assistant pastor and going to seminary. I believe God was calling me into full-time ministry, uh, and I thought that was the pastoral ministry at the time, so I had been training for and getting my Master's of Divinity at Asbury Theological Seminary in Orlando. I grew up on a farm in Oklahoma and had many opportunities to develop leadership through school and extracurricular organizations. And from an early age, I've always been a can-do person, figuring out ways to make things better. My career has now spanned over 30 years and has included a season on Capitol Hill as a legislative aide, and, um, and then as an international trade policy consultant in D.C., seasoned as a small business owner, of, as a franchisee of a residential cleaning franchise that in D.C. that my husband still runs very successfully from our office in our home and periodic travel to our three offices around D.C. area. And many of our employees have been with us 10, 15, and even 25 years. We've raised three daughters and survived some pretty rocky years parenting teenagers. Our young adult daughters are all now thriving and giving back to their communities in different ways. And in between leaving D.C. in 2001 and arriving in Brevard County in 2003, we actually lived and traveled on a sailboat and boat schooled our kids who were 6, 9, and 11 at the time. Well, um, I know this sounds like a pretty disjointed life, but I find that our best vision isn't through the front windshield, it's through the rearview mirror. Who would have thought that there would have been a common thread between my time fixing fences and driving tractors and caring for cattle on a farm, my time in politics, my time as an entrepreneur and small business owner, my time boat schooling kids, my time as a pastor, and my two master's degrees in business and divinity. And yet what I now realize is that God was using all of these experiences to prepare, prepare me to get in the game for being ready when my name was called to start Brevard Rescue Mission. I would have never imagined when I was studying statistics that I would someday using that body of knowledge to wisely make decisions that ultimately help homeless families. Or who would have thought that my hands-on farm experience would be utilized to, to repair things and apartments for women with children. I still haven't had the opportunity to use welding yet, but um, uh, you, know, you never know. Or who, know that, who knew that my experience in politics would end up being used to convey a message of hope to 
homeless residents and donors alike. I'm not sure I can think of one single experience in my life that God is not now using in this position where he has placed me. I still have growth areas, of course, and I'm still learning every day how better to fulfill his mission uh, on earth and my mission in my family and community like you. Are you now in a place where you can't see God's purpose for your life? Is someone else always getting the glory instead of you? Do you feel like you're in a dead-end job or a dead-end marriage? Maybe, just maybe, maybe God is using that season in your life to prepare you for something else. It's not enough to just tolerate that situation. You have to engage in it. You've got to be the best you that you can be where you are. You've got to learn everything you can about what is happening around you and be humble. Everything you go through, the good and bad, can and will be used for God's glory if you seek to focus on the now and see how God's hand is in where you are today. Let him make you, mold you, fill you, use you. I love that old song, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. Brevard Rescue Mission has now been in existence for 10 years, and every day I find new challenges, and they are not all enjoyable. This is hard work, and sometimes I literally ask God to pick someone else. But for now, he put me in the game and expects me to do my best and let him do the rest. This message permeates throughout our organization from our board members to our newest resident. We are to do and be our best and to use the resources God puts in front of us to most efficiently and effectively um, put them to, into practice. Every day I have a privilege to lead an organization that changes lives of homeless women and children, which impacts families for generations. I'm so excited. We actually have four of our kids in college now who came through as residents, which is and one getting ready for a master's in health administration. But I have to keep remembering why I am doing this and who I am being, doing it for, or the challenges could just take me under. You may not understand where God has you right now, but I guarantee God will use it for some good purpose. He may be using you for his purpose right now, and you don't even realize it. And the purpose might not even be clear to you on this side of heaven. You may think that you know exactly where you are in your job and your purpose and your marriage and your family situation. But then God might just change it up altogether. Just to show you how God can uh, use humor and change things up. The ironic thing about my being a basketball fan now is that when I was in seventh grade, I went to basketball. I played basketball for a year and then that summer went to basketball camp. And at the end of the, the little award ceremony at the end, I did not get one ribbon for anything. I mean, not even like 10th place of warming the bench, nothing. But they announced at the very end, they had a big trophy for Miss Congeniality, and it was voted on by the campers, and I got that. So that's when I knew I needed to go in another direction than basketball. Probably good advice. So you have to pay attention to what God is doing around you to hear his voice. You've got to pray and read the Bible. Literally, open it up or open it up, as some of you do, on a, on a phone or computer. It's amazing how much I can hear God's voice when I'm in the Word. Maybe you're hearing God today moving you from disciple to apostle. Maybe it's time for you to broach that conversation with that unbelieving family member or coworker. 
All you really have to do is tell your story to be a witness to the world. That's what we are called to do, to witness, to tell what we know to be true. That is how we move into being an apostle. You don't have to have all the answers. Just tell your story. And if you have no idea what your story is, I'd like to invite you today to get to know Jesus. If you have never invited Jesus to take the reins in your life, and you want to know what it feels like to totally be forgiven, to totally feel like you have a purpose, to totally feel loved, then I would invite you to invite Jesus into your heart today. You may have done this at some time in your past, but you may have strayed from your faith, and you find yourself far from God, just going through the motions in these very comfortable chairs. Today is your day to ask him to take back over your life and once more teach you to live for him. Let him fill your spirit with his love and power. Or today, you might be that person who knows and loves the Lord, but has been afraid to go out as an apostle and share the message of Jesus. Today, would you ask him to move in you in a new way that opens up doors that might just change someone's life forever, like mine did Julia's, for eternity. Can I now ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes? And before I pray for all of us, with your eyes still closed, if you want to invite Jesus into your heart today for the very first time, would you raise your hand? Thank you. And now if you are one of those people who just, you need to recommit, recommit your life to your faith and to let Jesus lead you again, you've, you've fallen astray, but you're ready to get back in the game. Would you, those people raise your hands? Just need a new commitment to Christ. And lastly, are you the one that God's calling to move from disciple to apostle, ready to open your mouth and tell someone who Jesus is and what they've done in your life? If God's just moving in your spirit today to speak the word to someone, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's pray together. Gracious God, we just come to you now as a community of faith, as your community and ask you to move in the hearts of every single person in this room. So God, I'm praying for those of us who, who have never really invited you to take over our lives. Come in our hearts. Forgive us for everything that we have done, both none and known and unknown, and make us free. Help us feel clean and fresh and new and to know who you are in us. God, for those of us that have fallen from you, that have just strayed and just gotten cold, bring us back. Light that fire in us again. Help us seek you in everything and, and just jump in front of us in every way and remind us of your presence. And then, God, for those of us who are believers and in the game, but we're not really telling others, we haven't moved into that apostolic ministry that you call all of us to. God, open our hearts, open, give us those opportunities, like today or tomorrow, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, to just tell somebody what Jesus has done for us and what we believe in, what it means, and what it can do for a life that can become who you are. So God, just thank you for all of these things. Thank you for forgiving us, for empowering us, for loving us, and for enabling us to be your people 
on this earth as we walk step by step every single day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.